0: Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the latest episode of The Compete Waffle. For those of you who have been with us on this crazy podcast journey from the very beginning, you will know that this is not the voice of your normal host, Alicia Edge. In fact, my name's Michaela, and I am holding The Compete Waffle podcast hostage. (laughs) No, no, I'm kidding. I'm actually one of Compete's accredited sports dietitian, and I've somehow convinced my beautiful boss and the actual host of Compete Waffle, Alicia, to allow me to take over for a few special episodes. It came to my attention about a month ago when I was actually sitting listening to a podcast episode that we've met so many amazing guests over the last kind of 12 months of podcasting through Alicia's interviews on Compete Waffle. Yet we have no idea or we haven't heard the stories from the extraordinary people behind this incredible company. And I know that may seem like an arrogant and biased comment to make as I'm technically a part of the group of people behind Compete. But since coming on board recently as an employee, my mind has been blown by the stories of our team. And I wanted the opportunity to share those stories. So over some coming episodes, I'll be sitting down with each of our team members from Compete Nutrition to talk about how they got to where they are today, to talk about their challenges, their triumphs, and even just their hobbies. So without further ado, I would like to welcome our first Compete Conversations guest, advanced sports dietitian, Compete Nutrition co-founder, mother of the cutest three little munchkins, and absolute boss woman, Alicia Edge. <laughs> welcome alicia um oh, thank how, you, <laughs> how does it feel being the podcastee and not the podcaster today
1: yeah i was just thinking that i was like yeah this is gonna be really weird and i'll have to like remind myself not to take over
0: <laughs> oh, no. I don't think you're going to have much trouble there. For anyone that knows me, I like to talk, and I think i probably take the crown between you and me and who talks more. So we can both fight for who's asking the questions, but um, don't worry, I'll keep you in check.
1: A waffle prize. Yeah, We're in trouble. We've, we haven't left ourselves enough time. But don't worry, everyone, I've got to get to another meeting after this, so it definitely won't go for too long. So that is probably a positive then by the sounds of it.
0: So is that why you are scheduled our, our recording to be before a meeting? Was it strategic?
1: Yeah, yeah, quick. <laughs>
0: because you knew he was interviewing you yeah
1: yeah we need to make
0: sure people don't have to listen to me for more than an hour love it love it well the reason um for those listening we have changed the format a little bit for today's interview um and alicia isn't being the podcaster is because leash does such a good job interviewing other people and finding out the amazing things that other people do um and how they kind of progressed on their journey whether that's around health or their business or their career their sport Um, and yet not many people know too much about leash herself so i decided when i came on board um, officially with the compete team that i was going to take this into my own hands and actually do a bit of a series of interviewing the amazing crew behind compete nutrition and what a better way to start than with the co-founder herself and the legend and the face of compete nutrition um, alicia edge so that is why we're here today and hopefully we can find out some fun facts and some insight into Alicia's crazy but amazing life that she's currently living. So I uh, thought we
1: should the be there actually, you've already said <laughs> nice things, let's not ruin it by me telling a stupid story.
0: <laughs> no, we love stupid stories here. Um, so I guess, I, I suppose this is probably where the most interesting stories will come from. Leash, the first thing I want to start with, with is, tell us a little bit about who you were as a kid and how that progressed mm-hmm. through your teenage years, so what was younger Leash like?
1: Uh, I think younger Alicia was very similar to my two and a half year old, so I am getting payback currently, <laughs> which my mum finds hilarious. I don't find it all that funny because she is stubborn and crazy and energetic. To give you an insight, I think probably the easiest way is to give you an example of when I was learning to ride my bike, I wouldn't learn my bike in front of people. I had to perfect it on my own by myself before I showed people that I could ride my bike. So I was caught a few times practicing to ride and would not like it if someone would watch me um, until I was right and correct at it. So that probably gives a really nice insight into who I am. (laughs) And why I have really had to work on um, being better at being imperfect uh, over time. So, yeah, it was from a very young age an issue of mine. But, yeah, I was very energetic, um, did every sport, uh, loved being active, had a lot of energy. And I think drove my parents crazy with the tantruming. I had a lot of emotion.
0: That's so good. And and how did that change as you kind of went through your primary school years and into your high school years? Do you think your personality changed at all or you pretty much stayed the same the whole way through?
1: No, I definitely changed a lot. I, I found high school quite difficult. I didn't necessarily find my people in high school. I was very sporty, wasn't all that girly, um, had some bullying. Like it was was not a pleasant time, I would say. But it wasn't until like year 10, 11 that I was like, oh God, it's interesting. I'm not even five minutes in the Michaela. Anyway, by year like nine or 10, I kind of realized that it was me and I could kind of find my place and find my people. And I had that choice. Um, My greatest friends were actually external to school. Um, (laughs) Damn it. Uh, And yeah, I am still very, very close to these girls who they're just incredible and um, very good friends and family friends. And also found once I left school, and I think this is a message for a lot of people, you start to really niche into your interests and your passions and you find your people. And high school can be one of those places that's pretty relentless um, if you, you know, don't have your crew or don't fit a crew. But then once I entered nutrition and dietetics, I was very fortunate to find this incredible group of girls who were all very chill, very fun, um, had very similar vibes to me and just enjoyed getting out there and living. And then also I found a our hockey crew, so Uni Hockey, and I thank them for, like, I think my experience throughout moving out of home, going to Uni, it would not have nearly been the same without them uh, I would have drank less and I probably would have put on less weight and I probably would have studied more but my memories of that uni time and the friendships that I had formed um, very close friendships that we still have we've all had kids together now um, was when I really found my place and probably started to build some confidence um, and really started to follow my instincts better my heart better and yeah really ventured into following my dreams and where my values and passions really lied. But that took a lot of time to trust myself in doing that.
0: And do you, did you have anyone, like do you have siblings at all that kind of influenced your experience in high school as well? Like I know um, high school is a really tough time for a lot of people um, and sometimes siblings can make that better or they can actually sometimes make it worse. Um, so did you have those, you know, positive influences in your home life that helped you through those experiences or do you think they were kind of a detrimental impact to making it worse through those high school years? I think my
1: family is what actually built my confidence up and allowed me to come home to a safe (laughs) and sorry Um, I'm very fortunate to have an incredible family Um, I have one of four Uh, I've got an older brother younger brother and younger sister and they're my sanity and my safe place and yeah, they, yeah, I would come home and know that I was loved and know that I was in a safe place and know that if I never ever needed
0: anything, that was where I could be. Um, so yeah, they, they were everything. Uh, they still are. (laughs) And and I probably knew that answer before I even asked it, but I asked it for a reason because, um, I think if anyone could see you with your family now, like your three children and Dan, and then the family you've created in compete, like, and with our athletes and the wider community that you touch and reach out to, it just shows that you were so loved in your home life, and um, that really kind of radiates out of you towards how kind you are to other people. So there was a there was an ulterior motive behind that question. <laughs> I'm not just asking it. Um, yeah, that's really amazing to amazing to hear. Now, I want to just quickly go back to what you were saying about finding your crew um, when you got into nutrition. Yeah. I guess if I was to ask you back when you were a child what you wanted to be when you grow up, the infamous yeah. question, would you be yeah. a dietitian? or what do you think your answer would have been back there and then and how did you come about um, choosing nutrition as your career?
1: Ah, very good
0: one. So
1: I think most of the time I wanted to be a vet. Uh, I loved animals. And then I did a day with my uncle who was a vet um, at the time. And I realised I couldn't be a vet because I passed out and <laughs> wasn't made for veterinary science. Uh, I had to leave the room during a, like a, just a cat being desexed and I thought that was way too much. Um, and so I realised my love of animals may be just something I could carry with me but maybe not a career choice. Uh, And then um, I really knew I wanted to be in a place that supported people and helped people. Like I always knew that that was kind of the thing that I wanted to do. And so health was where my UI at that time um, was like kind of where I was guiding me. So it was like science-based but also health-based. And I remember going to Newcastle Uni with my parents and it was just for like the open day. And we're looking at all these things and we're getting brochures. And my dad picks up this brochure and he's like, oh, look, it was the most cliche picture. It was for nutrition and dietetics. And it was this lady holding an apple and a banana. And my dad was like, oh, you like food. You can tell people to eat bananas. And it was just this joke. And it was like, oh, dad, what a stupid idea that would be. And so I, I do like food and I like being active, but I never went into nutrition and dietetics with like, I want to be a dietitian. I never had that. It was my third choice. I had physio, OT, and then nutrition and i ended up getting into nutrition because i'm not the smartest cookie I, I go okay but i'm not intelligent to like the higher level so i um missed out on my first two choices and i am so grateful for that because i've ended up in this career that i adore and it's really allowed me to um achieve so much of what i wanted to in a space that i'm really passionate about and as I said, like, I know my place is not in research. It's not in high-end science. I am not the best person that I can be in that space. Like, that's not how my mind works and it's not where my strength is, but my strength, hopefully, is in that translation piece. Like, if I can spend my time allowing other people to understand the science, then that's where I feel my strength is and my passions are. And it's taken a little bit to be okay with, realizing that like my career path is going to follow where my strength is rather than it being about following what people think you should be doing or what you know could be seen as the ideal when it comes to maybe studying or phd or any of those types of things yeah yeah i never grew up wanting to be a dietitian or sports dietitian
0: it's funny i haven't actually come across anyone that has said that that was what they said they wanted to be when they were a kid and i think it's because obviously it is quite a niche area of like, I don't know about you, but my cohort um, in dietetics was quite small. um, And it's only kind of in recent years that it's become more known that what a dietitian does and who a dietitian is and what they can help you with. I feel like back when I was in even high school, I didn't even think it existed. Like I, I didn't, I didn't know it was a thing. So um, yeah, I think it's definitely hard to step away from expectations of, You know, what you particularly in a medical profession um, where you can work clinically is there's kind of a mold that you're expected to fit into and it can be challenging if you don't have that type of personality. Um, So, yeah, I completely understand and I'm sure that'll resonate with a lot of um, dietitians if they do listen to this that it's okay to be different and it's okay to um, not fit into that typical clinical mold of a dietitian. Um, and it's not about you know all of the research all the time, but it's actually implementing that research and how you can make it practical for the everyday person. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been amazing being a part of Compete and, and learning that from you, that it's, it's more about how we can implement that knowledge rather than the knowledge itself.
1: And that's kind of hard to discover as a practitioner, I think, because we work bloody hard to know that knowledge and we work really hard to know that science and be confident in the science. And it's not lost, though, because when we're learning with the intent to translate, we learn so much more creatively and with so much more purpose because we've got to understand those processes enough to be able to simplify them. And that in itself is a really cool thing that I've discovered mainly with compete like doing the live Q&As every week was probably one of the best PD moves I've ever done like it, it's like learning with this pressure of not fucking up but also making sure that I send a message that translates correctly and empowers people and that's really like that was a really stressful thing to me to launch into publicly um, so yeah it's been an interesting um, time for sure
0: And I think the biggest thing as well, doing um, Q and A's with just general population is they challenge you to actually simplify it even further than you think is needed. So I know that I've, you know, sat down and looked at research, clinical research, simplified it to what I thought was simple and then gotten 10 questions going, this doesn't make sense. And then it makes you redo it and rethink it and relearn it in a different way. Um, And it just, it helps as well for people that aren't just, you know, visual learners or, um, kinesthetic learners like you can put it in multiple different ways to really touch any audience um no matter what their demographic no matter what their you know education level is um Mm -hmm. for example so yeah it's definitely a great way to get pd points up um (laughs) i don't know if you can claim no it was (laughs) was intentional to do that and i have this
1: memory of like doing crack in fourth year uni and that was my big realization that your knowledge is is important but it's more how you translate it because i was sitting there i was like on a bed next to a patient and they'd been diagnosed with diabetes and i explained to them what diabetes was and what it now means and they broke down in tears and they're like no one has ever said it like that to me before and now i understand and now i feel ready to make change and i was like oh that's really powerful from me this student dietitian i'm I now know my purpose and now I know what I need to do. But it was this moment that I remember so clearly, so much of my practice is like a blur, obviously, but there's, there's this one moment that I'm just like, oh, wow. Like we do have a real big purpose here and it's in slowing down and allowing people to understand the process to then give them that empowerment to make change and feel like they're in control and feel confident in those choices. So, yeah, that was a big moment for me.
0: Yeah, how cool. So, I guess the next thing I wanted to touch on is what was your journey like as a dietitian before the thought of compete or the idea of compete ever existed or was even a drop in the ocean? Um, so, you know, from finishing uni, um, I'm assuming you ended up going to Newcastle University?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. So, moved to Newcastle from my little hometown of Taree, um, which was a really cool thing. It's where, you know, we made lots of friends and I met Dan, now husband, now co founder, no, now. now dad, whatever it is now, <laughs> the, the um my best friend and yeah so it was a really good move and the however I think a lot of people don't realise how hard those first few years are after graduation for many. Um, we lived apart for the majority of our like probably five years of our the first five years of our relationship were done um Long distance um, with intermittent little times that we might live together Um, but that was really tough because we're both in a phase of just trying to make our careers work and we knew that there was this short-term I guess sacrifice to hopefully be able to set ourselves up at some point together Um, and so he was in different projects as an engineer um, for a lot of the time and then I was just basically saying yes to any opportunity that came around for nutrition so Um, I spent my first, you know, times in maternity fields in community um, health in Tari. Um, I then went into private practice in Tari for a bit, but then that private practice shut down, which then led me to be, uh, I was unemployed for about three or four months, uh, which was just debilitating. Like anyone, and I know this is very topical right now, anyone who's underemployed or unemployed right now and who strives and thrives off, Purpose and busyness and completing tasks. That unemployment phase is just horrendous, and that's actually when compete started because I was, I was driving Dan crazy. Like I was at home, I didn't have purpose, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt useless. I felt like my course was a complete waste. I had this hex debt that I was like, well, I'm never going to pay it off because I can't find a job. And he's like you've just done your sports nutrition course you've got triathletes wanting to you know ask you questions and work with you why don't you just start seeing them but see them like without doing a um consult in person see them via phone and email so this was in 2009 2010 so it was a long time ago and we thought of the name compete nutrition and we put that away and then we like just had as a side project so i obviously went back to work um And then we went overseas for a year. We lived in Netherlands for a year playing hockey um, and coaching hockey. So yeah, we at the time I quit my job to do that, that I had finally found and it was scary. It was like, what are we doing? Like we're going overseas for a year. I'm putting my career on pause for a year. Like this is really silly. It was hard enough to find a job, let alone pause for a year and then try and find something when I get back. Um, but in hindsight, it was actually one of the best things I've ever done. Like I'm—I wasn't a kid who traveled a lot in, um, around the world. My parents didn't have the money. I was one of four kids. Like it just wasn't something we did. We went on lots of you know little holidays, but nothing um, overseas. So to live overseas, travel Europe, and just coach hockey, play hockey <laughs> um, was this experience that gave me so much perspective. Like that there were other ways to do things, that there was, you know, there was a world turning that I didn't even know existed. And there were, um, you know, so many things that I needed to learn and improve as a person and, um, you know, an empathy that I gained, I think that I didn't have previously. And I came back and was able to find work. Like it was like, I was, I feel like a different person and more confident person. And I think that showed in, then where my career then went so it was kind of like a pause in my life that actually redirected my trajectory so yeah that was that was a really cool time as well and then from then um I started at the AIS so you know within five years I was doing community private practice clinical overseas you know travel and then I then I was like sports is actually I think where I really am passionate and where I'd like to go and that's where the um, AIS fellowship came up and I was I think most people probably don't know this. It was my third year of applying for the AIS Fellowship when I finally got it. really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what did you do um, in your AIS Fellowship, just for those that are listening? What was your area? Well, I think probably one of the biggest things with the AIS
1: Fellowship is that it's below minimum wage. So it is like you are putting your savings on hold for two years in the absolute hope and, you know, I guess, passion in your sports nutrition and in your career. So you are working your butt off in a very high-pressure situation but very supported high-pressure situation. Like you're, you were in a hallway with the likes of Louise Burke and Liz Broad and Greg Shaw and you were um, absolutely just – enthralled and just learning by osmosis at all times. I was working with a lot of the development teams because as a fellowship, obviously you're wanting to um, move up the ranks. So you are given the development teams that aren't likely to meddle, but will hopefully build your skills as a dietitian, which they definitely did. Uh, I got to work with Brumbies Rugby, um, the Australian volleyball team, Australian para-triathlete team, uh, uh, the development squad for the um, football. So men's football, uh, soccer, And yeah, just had a really amazing time being mentored by some of the best dietitians that I'm sure are worldwide. (laughs) And they've kind of proven that um, in the years to come. So yeah, I feel very fortunate um, for that two years. And it was when I left that environment that I realized that something needed to be changed within our profession.
0: Yeah, which is what we're gonna touch on in a second. But I just want to quickly pull it back to something you mentioned just a moment ago. Um, yeah. And it's about the two to three months where you were unemployed. Um, yeah. and obviously, as you said, it's a very topical situation um, right mm. now with the coronavirus and um, people losing their jobs, particularly in the high performance industry. But when you followed that with you going overseas and you getting five years of experience, you probably never would have got after that and then becoming an AIS fellowship. Like, do you think that those two to three months that you didn't have work put anything in perspective for you or um, was a moment that you needed to then propel yourself forward in another direction? Like, do you think you would have had the opportunities or do you think the course of your career or your learnings would have happened the same way if you hadn't had those two to three months of unemployment. I hope that makes sense. It's a bit of a yeah, No, no, it does.
1: And I, and I think it comes down to that, the beauty in the pause, because I've thought about this a lot in the
0: pauses that I've had
1: in life career-wise because I've had that unemployment pause. I've had the pause when we travelled overseas and then also the pause that came after the birth of our first child, Reuben. So every time I've had a pause... I've had the opportunity to reassess and reflect reflect, and it's changed how I am as a person every time. That's really hard in the moment. Um, It's not something that I would have felt or realised when I was in that moment, particularly in that unemployment time. And then also postnatally, I found those two times very, very difficult. Um, But in hindsight, that is definitely where I have, driven myself in a direction and also with a purpose that I wouldn't probably have had the confidence to do otherwise but also um, felt the need to because I would have been so safe in my environment and that was one of the big things with say the AIS fellowship I was in a really safe place when I took that AIS job where I had to move cities so I was in a private practice role I loved it it was a really cool job really supportive environment and I got offered this job and I was like, Dan, I don't, I don't know if I want to take it. Like, I am really comfortable right now. Like, we're in a really good place. We're finally living together. And um, he's the one who pushed me. He's like, you can't say no to this. Like, you will make this work and you need to say yes to this. And, yes, it's out of your comfort zone. And within weeks of the IS happening, I was ready to come home. I was like, oh, gosh, this is so stressful. We had issues when we were buying a house down there. We had so much stress financially i was like i'm not getting paid enough this is all my money is going to rent there's no point just let me go come home and he was like you are home. like you are staying we are going to make this work but if yeah this
0: response oh it's so him now that you know dan he'd
1: be like you freaking no don't be ridiculous
0: yeah, and for <laughs> listeners you will meet dan in his own interview um yeah yeah and- this make so much more sense when that interview comes out as well. Everyone's going to be thinking he's a complete arsehole, but he's not. He
1: pushes you when, yeah. And I think that's why we balance so well. Is be, and you probably don't know this, and I don't, can't believe I'm saying this, but in our wedding ring, there is an engravement that says best in me um, because we've promised each other that no matter what, we'll always bring out the best in each other. And that's something that we always kind of come back to if we're losing sight of what this is all about or, you know, in a bickering match about who knows what, probably just sleep deprivation. (laughs) um, It always comes back to are we bringing out the best in each other? And if that is ever not happening, we need to pull ourselves up on it. So, um, And I think this is where it's like, well, I'm kind of Dan's calm and empathy And he is my driver to push harder and to reassess my purpose and how well we can achieve. So, yeah, there's always this back and forward, and we're very different people, but in the best balance. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, you just uh, answered my next question. Uh was how did compete come about? And oh, yeah, well, you with your husband, but who was the person to push and make the first step? But you've just answered that. But either way, um, I'd love to know a little bit more about how compete did come about. And you know, you said you had talks about it back in 2009, um, and obviously a fair few years later was when it was, I guess, really truly created. Um, mm-hmm. so how did you know what compete was going to look like? Did you know, was it kind of just like, let's try and see what happens? Um, yeah. What was the thought process at the very beginning?
1: Yeah. So compete was always something I just did on the side. Like it was kind of like there was a triathlete that wanted some help or a runner that needed to chat and compete was just something that ran in the background. Even while I was doing my fellowship, I'd work at night and just do a little bit of um, private practice stuff. It wasn't until I had Ruben, we, I, I, never do this if you have kids, everyone. Like, I left AIS, so I left my identity as a sports dietitian at the AIS. I had lost my identity as a triathlete because I was heavily pregnant. And I moved to a small country town. Um, So we changed everything all at once. And it was – I was only very lucky that we were living with my parents for the first four months of Ruben's life that I think I got through it how I did. Um, I found it like a, this massive shift I found my first birth way harder than my second or third and I think it comes down to not necessarily being oh well it's uh, postnatal depression I, I I would say I was very close to that but it, for me it was losing my purpose and identity um, and I had to reshift who I was and also re who I was as a person and while Dan was still going out to work he was still training for triathlon and I was like oh, this is so unfair. Like I was resenting him. And that was just like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. But it was so hard to watch your identity still exist in someone else where you're on pause and you're refinding. Um, so that was really hard. And I, I didn't feel ready to work for a good six months after Ruben. I was really enjoying him in a way of just refining and rediscovering this little human that needed me. Uh, And I was also, you know, struggling mentally just to find my purpose and find where I was at. And I didn't have the energy to work or even think about working. I would like do some recipe development on the side and know that compete was growing. And I know that it was going to happen, but I didn't feel ready to really like just jump into that and work. Um, so I was kind of ticking away on a few things while Ruben was a bub. I remember sitting on the floor with my laptop, like rocking his um, bassinet, <laughs> trying to resettle him at some points. And uh, as I started to move into needing to um, start to work again, because I feel like that's a really big, important part of who I am. Uh, and then it wasn't until we were like, OK, my child benefits is finished. Um, it's time to consider going back to work. What does that look like? And we were in a small country town. It wasn't like brimming with elite athletes. And I'd lost my bubble of PD that I had at AIS. And I was like, okay, what are we going to do? And I started working in some aged care stuff, which was amazing at the time because it just buffered our income. And then I was like, well, maybe I start doing private practice, which is, you know, going into a physio clinic or a GP clinic and having a room that you rent. And Dan looked at the numbers and he was like, "Um, these don't add up. Like, you are going to be working very, very hard for not much income. And I was like, yeah, but that's just how it's been done. Like, it, you know, it's just how it is and let's just do it. Like, uh, it'd be great to get back into it. I'd love to start doing private practice. And he's like, no, I'm not allowing it. Like, we are, <laughs> he's like, you, you can't do that. Like, it is completely fatiguing. You'll be talking all day. Your money is all about time. And you would need to be having like a lot of pressure on yourself to have full bookings every day. He's like, no, it just doesn't make sense. And then you're giving a lot of percentage back to the facility as well. And so we just took a pause and went, can we live off one income? Like, can we do this and live off one income and just really knuckle down and just see where it's at? And he, I remember it really clearly. He's like, Alicia, this is going to be a few years. Like, this isn't just a six month and you're going to have a booming business. This is going to be years. And I was like, oh, okay because we,
0: we were comfy yeah yeah and yeah and it's like overnight success 15 years yeah. in the making or something like yeah, yeah. that like, yeah, you know, in social media and it's like it's not a it, yeah it's an overnight success 10 15 years in the making let's go yeah yeah
1: there's a lot of mapping out and planning involved and so yeah we made that decision and i i wouldn't be able to tell you how many times I have doubted that decision. Uh, It is not the easy decision. Um, Particularly every, you know, in the short term, you're seeing friends like buy their new houses, you're seeing them go on holidays, and um, you panic and you stress and I'll cry again over the decision you made for your kids, and if it was the right one. Because like there are times, I remember just like 18 months ago, where we were just like man we have like hardly any money i don't know what i can spend like you'd pass over your card at the grocery store and you'd be like i don't even know if this is going to go through and you're like what am i doing like dan could be <clears throat> earning well he's an engineer he's a great engineer i could be a dietitian somewhere quite easily what are we doing like this is really silly <laughs> but there was this bigger goal always there and it was like no one else is fixing this problem and if we don't do it then who is and so yeah it was never about money and it never has been for like if it was about the money we would have quit years ago like easily um and I think that's the thing there's a lot of patience involved and there's a lot of work that goes unseen um there's a lot of stress that goes unseen um it's not pretty, it's not, you know, that word entrepreneur is just so overused and it has this glow about it that is so inaccurate. It is the most stressful thing you'll ever do. Um and I think one thing that I really realized was not it's not only you that's out of your comfort zone. It's everyone who loves you is out of your comfort zone and out of their comfort zone. Like my parents were the day Dan quit his job as an engineer to work on compete, like there's a lot of judgment that goes into that and that judgment's not in negative. It's with good intention. It's like, no, like you're risking things like that. And it's because they don't understand and they don't know what this looks like. Like you work from home and you both work from home. How are you making money? Where's this money coming from? Like, um, you know, there's just so many unknowns when you're not doing the nine to five, people who have already done, always done the nine to five don't understand that there's a bigger thing in play here and it won't reward us and it won't pay off and we won't be comfortable for a while. And we've made that decision. And that's a really hard short-term decision to make, especially with a young family. Um, And you have
0: to back yourself. I think it highlights as well. Like it's such a common theme, not just Mm -hmm. in obviously your situation in business, Mm -hmm. but just with health in general, like, we always, as humans, we always push back on what we don't understand. And we all, like as much as we all want to change, we really hate it. We really hate the the unknown and we hate the pressure and, you know, it's scary and sometimes we think it's not worthwhile. And then, you know, 10, 15 years down the track, we didn't make those changes that we really truly thought we should have done back then. And then you regret it. And it's this vicious cycle of, you know, not for being fulfilled. And I'm sure you probably could say right now that, you know, it just highlights that at the end of the day, money comes, money goes. It's not, it's not the be all or end all. Like I've listened to so many people talk about being millionaires and being so unhappy and being at the most unhappy point in their life because they just don't feel like they're, they're fulfilling what they believe they're capable of, for example. So, you know, it's, I can't imagine how, like I see how much work goes into Compete in the back end and I've only been, like I've only scraped to the surface, you know, I have only I only met you not, not even a year ago now and I can see how much effort and love and work goes into the back of Compete and people do just see the glossiness, you know, CompeteCon was such an amazing success and, you know, from the outside it looked like it came together so easily and so quickly <laughs> which we're obviously very grateful for and we had amazing speakers but, you know, all the you know the extra work that goes in the back end and um those nights where you lay up wondering if it's going to go right if it's going to go wrong that's a lot of pressure but it just mm-hmm. shows your true character and shows the world that you actually give a shit and there's so many like people out there that just don't have anyone in their lives that gives a shit and i think compete is making such a positive impact in so many athletes lives and individual lives to show people that, you know, you just need to back yourself, you you know, you're your biggest advocate and people will question you and they will, you know, say things that you don't, you aren't happy about. And it might not be coming from an ill ill place mm. or a mean place. It might be coming from a caring place, but you know, it's okay to go against the grain and it's okay to have faith in what you can do and what you can achieve if you just back yourself and back your, your intentions and your skills and, you know, your worth and everything like that. So you know it, it gets me emotional watching you speak and listening to you because i just wish i could wrap you in a ball and summarize you and show the world how amazing you are as a ball, but also a businesswoman um but yeah it, it's definitely not an overnight success and i think it's amazing that you can speak so candidly about it all and and show that it's not a, a smooth sail it's not easy um no. And I guess that's what leads me into my next question. Like like any other venture in life, whether it's business, whether it's relationships, we're throwing so many curveballs. Yes. So what have you found the most challenging part of starting and growing Compete? Like obviously the financial risk and everything like that, but is there anything else that really sticks out to you that you found really challenging over the years?
1: Mm. Um, I think you've really already touched on it in terms of um, how hard change is. Uh, like I am not someone who naturally gravitates to change and, uh, disruption. I am absolutely would have called myself five years ago, a very safety sand. Like I was never someone who wanted to be a boss or a manager or I, I loved having instruction and, um, safety and having like that security blanket um so I don't think it's any any surprise that Dan has been what's changed that um and really pushed me to believe that leadership is different to what I thought it was um it's not bossing people around it's not telling people what to do and it can actually be about empowering people to have the confidence to grow and build and lean into their careers and purpose. And that's been a really cool discovery. I think also the big struggle that I've had is redefining my definition of success. Mm. Um, That's been a really big thing that I've had to work on. Uh, A few years ago now, I feel like I'm in a better place now but as I said, like my definition of success of you know where you'd be at the age of 33 or whatever you might have in your head, it was always like we'd own a beautiful home that housed my family and um, you know, you'd tra- be travelling the world and you'd be very comfortable. And the truth is we could have done that. And so it took me a while to realise that that wasn't our path and it wasn't our purpose and we could have a totally different answer. Um, and so my... Definition of success has changed over time and now, you know, yes, we're renting, um, but this home is like, I wouldn't change it. Like Mm -hmm. it's got everything I love in it. And what's the real value of a house if it doesn't, if it isn't a home and I can work on this really cool project with my hubby every day. And we have this like intrinsic passion together always be wanting to do better and that's doing better not only for compete of course but also for our family and we actually now have this home where Dan is you know totally 50 50 parent and able to be integrated into the kid's life where previously he was traveling all the time for work and doing really long hours and I don't think we would have had that otherwise so what is success you know like what is that and even though the days are really long and hard, it doesn't always feel that way because we're so passionate in what we're doing and we enjoy what we're doing. So is that success, you know, is success actually finding the, that balance between who you are, creating a project from it and never really feeling like you're burning out or doing too much because you are just so obsessed with um, solving this solution and working on this solution. So, yeah, it, it's definitely shifted and changed over time. I don't think I've ever got balance. Like I'm always doubting every role that I have that I'm letting people down. That's Alicia. That's how she rolls. But I do enjoy it. And I have, I couldn't, re- I can't remember the last time I woke up and went, oh, I've got to work today. That's amazing. I can't, can't remember. Yeah, couldn't even tell you when that happened. And I, it was definitely pre
0: well i can tell you and i'm not a researcher or anything like that but you can quote me on this everyone listening you are in the minority of people that wake up and haven't haven't had that thought in a long time and i think i could say that quite openly and um confidently that i think the majority of people do wake up and dread going to work or do you know count how many sick days they've got left banked up or you know and and it's you know I don't, I don't understand, and I know some people in a situation where that has to be their reality for a short yeah, while, But you know, working to live and living to work are two completely different situations, and I, and I love how this is perfectly going in my streamline of questions. It literally brings me to my next question, which is away from work, because I think sometimes we allow our work to take over all aspects of our lives what brings you the most joy in your life like what do you do for fun what do you shamelessly do when no one's watching or you know you are by yourself or even if the kids are around like i feel like you can't even go to the toilet without your children (laughs) but um what do you shamelessly do what do you what do you find fun in your day-to-day that has nothing to do with compete and nothing to do with being the most amazing mum that you are sometimes it's hard for mums to actually put their family aside and actually think about what truly makes them have the most amount of fun.
1: Mm. My kids are involved in this.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. As long as it's not just being. Um,
1: Yeah. Like I was always someone that always knew that I wanted to be a mum and that was like going to be one of my biggest purposes in life. So I think that's why I now love it so much was it was always part of who I was going to be. And the one thing that I, you know, that always brings me back to earth and, you know, happy and chilled and giggly is just seeing my kids like happy and playful um, and I always know that I've done too much or I'm in a bad place when I can't be playful. Playful for me is just like it has so many definitions but it's one of those things that you just like you see yourself being patient and in the moment and without any inhibitions and you know dancing with the kids playing with the kids playing pretend dressing up you know being a fly on our wall in our house is mayhem but I think the one thing that brings me so much happiness is the perspective that they bring me um and no matter what the day has been particularly Mabel she's like our little happy bubble Mm. she will bring you back and she just can light up a room um flossy depends on the day <laughs> or, or the hour and Ruben is like my little sanity he's just this questioner and observer and like the questions that he comes out of like so randomly are just hilarious the and so you're always plug in here of your
0: insta story of Ruben oh yeah the other day if you haven't if those <laughs> listening haven't seen ruben <laughs> an amazing explanation of where poo comes from please <laughs> proceed to the compete you yeah, just go find it you'll see the poo emoji so head to that post
1: and then swipe through yeah. and you'll
0: see. it'll be a true definition of who ruben yeah, yeah. is as a character
1: yeah yeah he's very much this logical um process driven his father he is 100 <laughs> yeah yeah so i have to say that um and outdoors. I, I realise if I haven't been outdoors enough, my headspace is a bit shot. Like I will need to be in the bush, on the beach, and that will be, whether it's noisy with kids or quiet, it won't matter. As long as I'm outdoors, I get regrounded and find my happy.
0: That's amazing. I love that. All right. And I'm conscious of the time and the meeting that you um, have to get to. So I've got three quick fire questions. I mean, they could be extended questions, but let's make them quick fire to fit them in um, to finish off. One to do with compete and then just two random questions. So the first one is um, what is the ultimate goal or ultimate dream for compete nutrition? So if there was no limitations, what would compete nutrition ultimately look like? Hmm quick fire eh? uh, <laughs> i put the disclaimer that it might not be quick fire yeah that's a good disclaimer
1: for me it comes back to the purpose that we always come back to is like the intent is to empower and build confidence and translate mm. Translate behavior into people's lives and just be that support. Um, and it wouldn't matter to me. Like, you know, obviously for us, we want it and need it to be big because we feel like it's a big problem. But that's the solution piece. For us, every single client and every single crew member that we work with, we feel like it's been, it's been worthwhile. Um, when we see you know people come back to us and tell us how, the, how their whole family has changed in terms of behavior and beliefs and health and their energy has shifted and or you know someone tells me that they had no binge episodes this week um or that they did a pb like the definition of performance is self actualizing right like everyone has this different definition of performance and to be able to listen to the individual and really allow them to achieve their definition of performance, it comes back to what I hope compete will be. It's just everyone being able to perform at their best. And that could be in life or sport or both. And if we can help do that, then everything's worth it. Uh and that's what I hope to achieve.
0: Oh, that's the best answer. You make me so warm inside. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't think that was very well thought out, but anyway.
0: No. It's so human. It's such a human response every <laughs> time. um All right, two last quick quick fire questions. I promise these ones are quick fire. First one, because you talked about dressing up with your kids earlier. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Oh, I feel
1: like this is a question for Ruthen. I've never been asked this before.
0: Superpower: channel your inner childhood. Yeah. Marriage. Yeah. There's some really cool ones out there.
1: I don't even know. I feel like I always overthink these types toxic questions. Yeah, That's why it's quick play. You have to get more content in five seconds. I, I like way up the pros and cons in my head. <laughs> like, it has to be a
0: better option. Oh,
1: I don't know. Let me come back to that.
0: Okay, last quick fire question then. And you have five seconds to answer. I'm going to do a countdown. I'm yeah, yeah. holding five up at the moment to the camera for those. Obviously, yeah. you can't see me. All right. so, seeing as we're um, all about nutrition, we love food. We love everything about food. If you could have dinner with one person in the world, who would it be and what cuisine would you eat? Five, Ooh. four, three, oh, two, two, one.
1: Yeah. Fire. I'm going to say... And probably cry again, um, my pop, because I didn't ever get to do that as an adult and I'd love to know more about him. <laughs> and what cuisine would you eat? Um, and yes, ice cream is
0: <laughs> cuisine. In
1: my- um, I'd actually I'd actually eat his butter toast because that's my memory of him. Oh. Yeah, I would just, want to, I want to share another meal with him. Um, and I never got to meet my Nan.
0: So if she could be there too, that would be really cool. <laughs> Got all the way through the podcast without shedding a tear. Now you get me on the last question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone's just gonna think we all just cry at compete. <laughs> I know this is ridiculous. I should
1: have looked at the questions
0: before you bloody do this. You'll have to come back to us on what superpower you have because I know you yeah, have to yeah. run off now. So we'll wrap it up, but we can we can pop it in the show notes anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, is now gonna point. wonder what the hell I've been doing
1: maybe.
0: Yeah, have got splash face with cold water. But yeah, yeah, I'll first. Thank you so much, Michaela. That was lovely. I'm so happy you got to sit down and chat um and I'm sure you'll probably have lots of questions coming your way from our amazing listeners, but I just want to say that I appreciate working in compete. I oh. think you're an amazing boss um and we all love you very, very dearly in the compete transition uh, team. So thank you for all you do, um, and I look forward to listening to the final cut of this podcast. Thanks, Michaela, and I can't fire you now that you said that. So yeah, you're safe. Maybe <laughs> yeah, this forever. This is my guarantee. <laughs> I'm going to be compete in the next for the next 40, 50 years. Oh of- uh, yeah, you're a legend.
1: Oh, thank you so <laughs> much, beautiful. Really appreciate it. thats Bye. <laughs>